This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Care Notes, led by Doug Wilbur. And Doug, you have a guest for us today. So I'm going to actually be able to sort of sit back and listen more than talk. I love it. <laughs> well, you can talk as well. So, um, but but uh, um, I do want to introduce, uh, you know, um, a guest that uh, we've known each other for a number of years. Um, you've worked a little bit more with Lena than than with me directly, um, but but you definitely come with a distinguished um, background. Um, and um, a matter of fact, surprising, I didn't realize you'd been at some of the places that you've been to, and um, you know, as in the social work and other factors, you know, everything from um, the Dolan Center in Chardon to um, law firms to Western Reserve to, um, uh, uh, you know, Alzheimer's Association. Am I right with that? Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of experience that you have. So just if you if you don't mind, um, so the audience really understands Tell us a little bit about your background, your education, um, some of the things that I mentioned, and and then you know where you are currently. Sure. Uh, I started. I, my sister. Uh, I have a younger sister, and she was uh, dealing with a cardiac concern that she had when she was a teenager, and. I realized that I wanted to be a social worker because she was a 17 year old on a floor, a cardiac floor in Pittsburgh with a bunch of older people and no one knew what to do with this 17 year old. And so mm. I said, well, who's taking care of you? And she said, well, I have a really nice social worker. And I thought I can do that. So <laughs> I thought that I wanted to be a medical social worker. And I came over from Pennsylvania to go to case and uh, they were handing out the, the uh, field placements and they said, um, and we know that you want medical, but we have a gerontological spot and they have medical concerns there. So it kind of overlaps. So I was actually introduced to gerontology because of a space issue, but it turned out to be one of the luckiest quirky things that happened in my life because I got to go out there and do the, the field placement and begin working with older individuals, um, which led me to be introduced to the Dolan Center, which was this extraordinary building while it was uh, up and running in the 80s and 90s, really cutting edge way of caring for people with dementia. And that kind of overlapped with the Alzheimer's Association. And I really realized that this was the population that I really enjoyed. And uh, yeah. on again, off again, through my career, I've always come back to gerontology. The only thing that's interesting is that People don't seem quite so old anymore. <laughs> when I started, I was like 22. And now, you know, I'm still helping, you know, a gerontological population, but I'm thinking, hey, these guys aren't that old anymore. Right, exactly. <laughs> they used to seem much older. <laughs> much older. It's, it's hitting people at young ages, isn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, right. What are all these young people doing in this facility? Right. So, you know, one of the things, um, just even talking about the Dolan Center, um, I don't know if, if people really know what the Dolan Center was, 
but it was one of the the uh, best that I understand, one of the original um, centers that really looked at Alzheimer's. It was. It was an extraordinary place. And again, I feel like I fell backwards into this really amazing uh, opportunity. Heather Hill, which is out uh, in Chardon. Um, and now I, I think it's an independent uh, community, but um, the, the Corinne Dolan Center was um, a gift from the Dolan family, which in Cleveland we know largely because they also own our, our baseball team. Uh, but Corinne Dolan um, Center, and uh, there was a, a, a combination, and I can't remember exactly how, but uh, the Taliesin Company, which was an architectural firm that was affiliated with Frank Lloyd Wright, um, mm -hmm. was involved in building it. And the reason it was so cool is it was trying to look at life from the perspective of a person with dementia and how could it be not simplified, but just kind of boiled down to the essence of what's the most important thing instead of having way too much stimulation and whatnot. So it was uh, not a long hallway, but a round space where if a person was wandering, um, they would have the freedom to come and go and stop and start as they wanted to. And it had shadow boxes, which are now much more of like kind of a common thing that you would see on a dementia unit where you could put the individual's uh, own personal belongings in there, maybe photos of what they looked like when they were younger or knitting that maybe a woman had done. Men would often have military medals and stuff. So not only would that tell the group about who you were, it would remind you that this is my room without ha you having to ask for it. So you would know that when I get to this spot, this is where I stop. And yeah. um, it was just so clever in so many different ways um, to really bring dignity back to a person who's really feeling a lot of that kind of, kind of stripped away. So they had lighting on the toilets and it was just, and, and a, a, a curtain instead of a door. So it could be, you know, visual cue and it could just help the person. Oh, there's that thing I'm looking for. And I don't have to ask anyone and feel like a kid. You know, I can just, uh, I'm, I'm finding what I need without having to ask for it quite so much. So and a lot of those things have, have since been adopted by, right. by other centers, but but you are one of the originators of, of those it's, things. It's funny to see stuff everywhere now when yeah. and, and realize I was working at a place where we were the only ones that are doing that. And, and now it's universal. It's kind of a funny thing to be in Cleveland that way. Yeah. Um, it, and it's kind of sad because it's not it's not operating. It is anymore. an empty, dusty. Yeah. Well, it's just quirky how it happened. You know, I think that. Um, there was a consolidation of all the different resources in Cleveland, you know, about 20 years ago and um, university hospitals took over Heather Hill. And there was a thought that uh, the building could be multi-purposed, but it was such a unique building. It really only had one noble purpose and mm -hmm. um, they put an elevator in and a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, made it more functional in some ways, but kind of took that original vision away mm -hmm. and now it's just sitting empty so so you went you know obviously you were in a very special place very early on in your career right which which yeah. is you know when you have that opportunity 
it, it really does change you because you taste what good looks like and right and you kind of like see um care as being um innovative and not just like uh we're just doing care you know kind of a thing right so that what a great opportunity that's so true yeah so it, it is and uh it 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 holds that bar up very high so mm -hmm. i think I, I i you kind of verbalized something that i think i must have always held in me but i've never really thought of it that way so that's true yeah it, when when you get kind of spoiled with like what good looks like or what innovative innovation looks like and if you have that in your career sometime um, or your life in general, it changes you. You know, you're you really are a different person because of that. And your expectations go way, way up, which which is a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so you, you were there and um, and then where'd you move on after that? Did I go? I, I, I was going to try and do a PhD oh. uh, uh, down back down at Case in gerontology. And um, it just it, it didn't come together the way that I wanted. Uh, and um, the world uh, of gerontology moves fast, believe it or not. There's a lot of science in, in looking at what works and what doesn't. And uh, you have to kind of jump in there. Um, but it didn't really come together and that's okay. And I was missing the clinical connection that I had. So then I think I went to um, hospice of the Western reserve for a while. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and obviously that's, uh, you know, hospice of the Western reserve was also one of those innovative places, you know, um, yes. it, it was one of the early hospices. I, as best as I understand that, um, yeah, and they, and they did and still do a lot of things right. So, and I I held two roles, the two different roles there that a social worker could have. I was in both of those positions. I started as a bereavement coordinator, and so that's you know the individual that kind of uh, greets the family after the 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 loved one has passed, mm -hmm. and you know tries to kind of reconnect that person. Um, with life and sometimes you know you see um, their grief can be kind of an obstacle to a normally functioning life and and that can be challenging for people to reconnect um, with their community and their loved ones and their life and then the other piece was uh, I was what they called an alt home social worker which was um, alt home being the alternative to home so that was any nursing home group home, assisted living, anything alternate to home, where a lot of people don't realize you can get hospice services when you're in the nursing home. So that was kind of interesting. A lot of the time you're you're giving education to the family while they're going through this really, you know, mm -hmm. powerful journey with their loved one. And they don't right. realize that they can get that help. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, and, and so again, great experiences because you saw a real range as far as what you were doing. And then you move from there to, if you remember that, because it's funny uh, when you go backwards. That was when I, that's when I, I, I um, moved to chemical dependency for a couple of years. And uh, um, it was a, a different 
opportunity, but I thought that that was really interesting. I was um, a counselor who did an intensive outpatient group um, in Lakewood. And so that was a different population too. That was the, my one foray into an under 65 population and um, uh, a very different dynamics for sure. <laughs> But 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 really important. I I learned a lot of. Uh, I had to look at Urban Dictionary like every day because these kids were coming in and it was like they were talking a different language and I had to say what does that mean. <laughs> and uh, you know, th there's a lot more resistance to what I'm recommending at at that level. So oh yeah, that was a, a you know. Um, Older people are so grateful so often for the assist, any assistance that you want to provide. And I mean, sometimes it's like, well, this wasn't what I was thinking. This is, wasn't the kind of help. But, uh, you know, these are generally folks who really don't want to be there in the first place. They're being court ordered to be there. So, uh, yeah, that it was it was good for me. It was it was uh, I learned a lot about uh, the world and I learned a lot about like how much resistance I can take so that was good <laughs> and then I even while I was there uh there was a grant um that was available and the woman who was supposed to go in on this grant um was pregnant and she was it was uh she had to have bed rest her doctor indicated that she couldn't um do anything for the next several months that she was planning to do it so they asked me if I would do it instead so I actually got to go to the women's prison and um, provide a, a, a treatment group for, it was a trauma-informed treatment group at Northeast Pre-Release for a year where I helped women understand how addiction and trauma are linked. And if they were interested in recovery, I could help them with that. And that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but that was a really a different population. Uh, for I mean, sure. Completely for sure. different population. Yes, absolutely. But then the grant was over and then I kind of was like, let's go back to the fold. And then I went back to nursing homes and I've kind of been with gerontology ever since then. Now, I do have a question for you. And that is, you know, I think everything in life is a learning experience, you know, that um, I, I'm a real firm believer that um, if if our eyes are open or if our hearts are open, <laughs> Um, we can take things from all sorts of different disciplines and apply them mm -hmm. and work with them and stuff like that to help us, you know, in, in another area. So I tend to, to like, um, just my nature is to, to kind of learn things from here and say, oh, that might have application here. Did you mm -hmm. have any of that from that foray out of Jaren? gerontology and the aging you know when you came back in is there are there like things that you said yeah that that this actually applies to this sure. or or I never looked at this this way until I went here I do think that's a very good point and and I do think that uh I had a much greater awareness of um the impact of of mental health through through the whole lifespan uh, and how, um, you know, you may be dealing with anxiety and depression as a younger adult and how not resolving that 
has an impact over the lifespan, physically and emotionally. And then if you add uh, concerns of an older person and maybe some cognitive impairment on top of that, that can really, you know, create some interesting dynamics for a person. Um, you know, if they have um, an underlying diagnosis of um, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, and then uh, dementia kind of comes in there, you know, you sort of want to be aware um, of what the parameters of that could be and how um, you can't necessarily, um, because you're in an environment where you're, you might be looking all to dementia and you're thinking dementia is causing this problem or that problem. And you might want to be aware of the underlying, um, maybe this person had institutionalization, maybe they did have some addiction um, or domestic abuse underlying it and what that brings to the table once you have cognitive impairment. Oh yeah, yeah. So, you know, knowing, here's the, you know, I think the big thing that I, the biggest thing I learned from that is that uh, when we're taking care of an elderly person in a, in a communal setting, here's the lifespan and we know maybe, you know, this much of it. So we don't know everything that came before. Um, and you want to, you're not responsible for that, but you want to be kind of mindful of that. And, and I guess the reason I say that is occasionally you'll hear a story of like a caregiver, one of these young, just out of high school, really eager nursing assistants, fresh faced and everything. And they just really want to make an impact on person and bless them for that. And they will tell the family, your mom is the sweetest woman. I love to have ice cream with her. We have such a good time. And what they, the last thing that they expect and what happens sometimes is they get barked at by a child who didn't have that relationship with their, with their parent. Their mom mm -hmm. wasn't that nice to her. She hated ice cream. What the heck are you talking about? You're not talking about someone who sounds like my mom. Sounds like you had a nicer time with her than I did. And I went through all this trouble to get her to this place, you know, and these kids are looking at me like I was just trying to make their day. And of course they were, and they don't realize boy, did you just step on a nerve that you didn't even know was there, right. you know? And so I just try and help these kids to realize that just because you're telling them that stuff doesn't mean that they're going to receive it, but don't stop doing the things, you know? Yeah. Um, just, you know, being aware that not everybody thought that, you know, Janet was the greatest lady in the world and that's okay. Cause yeah. maybe she is now. And one of the other, so. you know, things, there are times where I've seen it where the caregivers um, are, you know, have that type of relationship. And as you mentioned, there can be some jealousy or some, some mm -hmm. um, just, you know, grief, actually, a lot of times, sure. because the, of things that the, someone didn't have. And um, navigating that for the, both the caregiver and even as a company, you know, is right. can be can be hard. And I, you know, I, in your work as as a social worker, one of the things I've also found is that we're seeing, you know, I have over the years seen a number of people their dementia was a cause was caused by uh, a life of abuse. So you have alcohol sure. induced dementia at times True. as well, and. Um, right. Which which carries with it, you know, other issues. Um, Absolutely. It, but the 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 root cause of of some people's dementia was their alcoholism. You know, a, a lifelong, you know, abuse of 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 alcohol. So, 
And, you know, I have a feeling that we'll probably see that a lot, you know, in the future when it comes to marijuana, because marijuana right. is, is as, you know, as much as people um, feel like it's, you know, there's a push to legalization and and acceptance, but there's a lot of psychosis and other things that are directly yes. linked to marijuana. And this isn't a judgment on marijuana per se. It's just, I'm telling you, that's the reality of it, you know? Right, right. So, right. Um, so, but you've, you've ended up um, at the Cab Law Firm. And, um, yes. and so tell me a little bit about what you're doing there. Well, it it really is a great opportunity. Um, I've been friends with Rachel uh, probably 25 years. And so we always kind of, we were following a similar career path along the way and we'd have dinner periodically. And uh, we would, you know, have interest in all of the same issues. And uh, we would say, we really should, you know, collaborate and work together sometime. And um, so I, I was working at one of the nursing homes where I worked and, and a position became available. And so I jumped at the opportunity. So you're working with a certified elder law attorney, but you're a social worker and, and you know, that's a really unique opportunity. Um, we tell people that we try and help them with their legal, financial and care needs um, moving forward. Most often it seems like we get referrals from concerned children uh, who are watching their parents and seeing um, changes in their cognition, ability to remain independent, quality of life, what they're able to do for themselves. Um, a lot of the time we find this happens, we're coming into our busy season because you find you know, your kids come home for Thanksgiving and uh, they're looking at their parents and they're thinking, holy crap, I don't know when the last time was that mom did laundry or, you know, I'm sorry, I just said that. Oh, yeah. uh, but, but you know, they're realizing it, it is that dramatic. And so they're saying, uh, um, or they're just realizing things are slipping and and maybe they're seeing that mom's covering for dad and dad's covering for mom. And, um, you know, you kind of have to break up the conspiracy a little bit and find out what's really going on. Um, you know, or or one, you know, there's five kids, one kid lives in town and no one can, none of the other brothers and sisters can figure out why that one kid is so stressed out because they're the ones that have been taking mom and dad to all the doctor's appointments. And they're the ones who have been dealing with all the stuff that's going on. So anyway, so, you know, the families come to us and a lot of the time stuff has been going on for a long time and it's some acute event that brings them to us, you know, oh my gosh, mom broke her hip and she's in the facility. And now they're saying that she can't come back home without some kind of supervision. And we don't know what we're gonna do. So they don't know what they're gonna do on a couple of different levels. They don't know legally what's the path of command, who's in charge. Uh, mom was the matriarch of this family, but right now uh, she's in a facility and she's getting physical therapy and occupational therapy and she can't run things anymore. So who's gonna, who's that gonna fall to? Maybe you've had that conversation before. Hopefully you've had that conversation before. Um, if you haven't, it's kind of chaos and everyone's trying to figure out who's in charge. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear Rachel's dog is here. So, um, <laughs> so Rachel, so, not to work. <laughs> so I know. Um, and then, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so with a law firm um, and, you know, Rachel does great work and has a phenomenal reputation 
um, in the Cleveland right. area because of of the work that um, that she does, and and um, so the law part makes a lot of sense because that's the piece that you know where you're trying to get things in order and trying to you know legally get things straightened out and sometimes you know there's there's complications because they have dementia and now you know they um and they never got their affairs in order and so mm-hmm. you, you have to kind of march through that you know that quandary that so often happens um so where though is I, I think you know most people understand that, but what they may have trouble understanding is what it is that a social worker would do within that uh, you know that framework. So like uh, what would a day in your life be look like? And I know this looks like a lot of things, but but kind of what does that look like? Sure. Uh, so. Um... Most days I would come here to the office first and, and meet with the team because it is kind of a multidisciplinary approach. Checking in with Rachel. Uh, we have a, a paralegal who's here who's kind of in charge of the benefits um, for a person. She'll do a lot of the Medicaid planning. So she's usually on the phone with um, jobs and family services and that sort of thing. Um, maybe we'll have a, a, an initial meeting here in the office uh, where we talk to the family and we explain um, you know, they're in that crisis that I kind of told you about, and we'll explain how um, if you work with us and you let us assist you, we'll get things in order legally, financially, and care-wise so that we'll have a designated person in the family who everyone should go to, uh, and we'll make sure that that person's in charge. Um, so, you know, we're, we're dealing with families, and we're really kind of... Um, rooting around in some areas that usually remain kind of quiet and private. So sometimes having the social worker just sort of do that in a, in a gentle but sort of calculated way to make sure, um, are we all on the same page here? And if there's, you know, sometimes we have families who come here because we're all on the same page except for Bobby and Bobby's been trying to rip off mom and dad for a while and we need for that to stop. And we don't know how to do it because Bobby's our brother and we love him but he's got to knock this off. Otherwise mom and dad aren't going to have any money left. Mm. So, you know, and that's very challenging for a family to come forward and say that because we like to keep that stuff private. And so, you know, having that, that ability to be a social worker and be like, this is very normal and not, I mean, not normal, but it's not the worst thing that we've ever heard. And, you know, we can help you with this. We don't expect you to be able to deal with this on your own here are some things that we can do about that, you know, and and we can kind of be the bad cop, if you will. And we can have Bobby come in and we can say, listen, you know, we know you've been doing this for a while, but it really has to stop because, and these are the the reasons why and Mm -hmm. um, neutralize that to the best of our abilities. And I would say nine times out of 10, Bobby gets the message. So So um, as a a social worker, you're less threatening than the attorney. Right. Right. Yes, I, I hope so. And and uh, yeah, I would like to be able to joke with them and, you know, and let let Bobby know that maybe you're having issues and you need some resources and I can help you with that. So instead of going to the bank of mom and dad, we can help you get the resources that you need from the community, from agencies that are actually built to do that. Maybe they just have never known where to go 
and I can say, do you know that if you go to this place, they will help you with this? And they might not know that, um, you know, and we can kind of point them in that direction. So, so that's what we kind of do when we're here in the office. Once we get connected with a family, I see them for up to a year and I see them at least quarterly to make sure that whatever location they're in, whatever setting they're in, they're experiencing some safety and a quality of life. Um, so hmm. that could mean I want to go to the, the, the nursing home, the assisted living, the group home where they're at, or even go to their home and make sure that whatever we're setting up is working. Um, we might work with the family and set up um, a whole big plan where they're going to go to a long-term nursing facility. And uh, we've heard that that's the greatest nursing facility, but a couple of things are falling through the cracks in terms of care. And so maybe I'll go with the family to the care conference that they have where nursing meets with them and the business office meets with them and the, the physical therapist meets with them and the dietitian meets with them. And we're all getting there on the same page. And then I come in and I just say, well, these are the concerns that the family has. Um, she's supposed to get a shower on Tuesdays and Fridays. And um, she's telling me that she hasn't had a, a shower in two weeks. And it's not a big deal, but it, it is a big deal. And so um, we all work together and nursing says, well, her, nurse, her, her showers are supposed to take place on Tuesdays and Fridays. And when we went to her on Tuesday, she refused. And so we went back to her on, or we were supposed to go back to her on Wednesday and we forgot. So then we just figure out where the breakdown is. And it's not, it doesn't have to be punitive. It's just, this is where the breakdown happens. And we give them an opportunity to fix it. And then if that doesn't happen, then in another couple of weeks, then I come back and it's like, okay, look, this is what we've done so far. This is where the breakdown happened this time. What can we do? And I just keep going back. And um, sometimes um, the individual doesn't remember that they had a shower and they pull out you know, their documentation and it's like chapter and verse and it's all right there. That's fine too. you know. And then I can go back to the family and say, you know, um, I know that you're not feeling this, but your mom may be a little bit forgetful and, and she's telling you that she's not getting a shower, but we have evidence that it's happening, you know, and we can kind of break it down that way. So that's, you know, that's something that I can do. Um, occasionally we have to get into guardianship. We're, we're, we, we were, had been doing that a lot more before COVID, but it's a very complex process. And so we may be involved in guardianship at this point, but most often what we're doing is helping the family member to attain guardianship through the appropriate channels rather than Rachel sort of spearheading that and being the guardian for all these different people. Mm -hmm. So it, um, so what you're actually doing with, um, is is more in that whole care management type of of category, correct? Right. That's a lot yeah. of yeah. Um, which which you know the the idea around care management is that I, I, um, maybe I'll go backwards a little bit. So often I come into a situation and people are very confused. They you know they're they've they've never really done this before. No other family members have gone through it. Right. So they are not experts, and so now they have to learn you know, about dementia, they have to learn about um, 
uh, you know, chronic, whatever chronic condition a person might have, you know, the, how, what Medicare is and what Medicare pays for, it doesn't pay for, um, hospice, all sorts of things that has barely been in their lexicon and definitely not something that they consistently do. So, um, so they're looking and saying, you know, please, you know, can you help us? <laughs> so, so much of what I do when I go in is try to act as a resource. You know, I'm not trying to convince them to use what we do or, or, you know, um, if it makes sense, then, then that's perfectly fine. But so much of it is just helping them to understand what's available, how things work, how this system, um, which is, you know, very convoluted happens. And there is no guidebook. There's nothing that says, you know, this is what's done or not done. You have to learn by learning that, you know, the various factors. Well, you know, if you have someone that's, that um, has, you know, let's say it's a child that's doing it, they have a busy life. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure this out. They're trying to balance out, right. you know, many, many things. And and it's not easy. And then you have the other side, which is, you know, you have maybe a, a 90 year old wife trying to take care of her husband. And she really is overwhelmed in those cases. So the right. care management idea um, is more that you're coming in and you're saying, let me help you understand this. Is yes. that is that an accurate way yes. of it doing it? it is. So so and, tell uh, me tell me like some of the things that and I apologize I because of the delay, but tell me some of those things that you actually are involved in doing. I know you mentioned a handful, but but like when you go in, how do you analyze? How do you kind of figure out where someone's at? Um well, I think so. So uh, after we have our initial uh, meeting, um, I go out and I do an assessment of the individual. And people, I think, think that that's going to be this very complicated clinical tool. But really, it's just a visit. Um, I went out, I did three different ones yesterday, and, and all three of the cases were all very unique and different. Um, one of them was in a, a, a couple's house. They're both about 70. The gentleman has had a uh, a stroke and he's still at home, but he had been in the hospital for a long time. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the situation. I'm looking at what does the house look like from a practical perspective? Is it easy to get in into the house and out of the house? Are there a lot of steps? So, you know, I'm kind of taking that piece of it. Um, they have set up a, a first floor room for this gentleman. Um, so it's like his TV room, but it also has a hospital bed in it. And so he can stay there overnight if he wants to, if he doesn't feel like dealing with the steps, he's getting stronger. Um, but mm -hmm. I just, I like the way this family is kind of thinking ahead. And so, um, you know, I, I get kind of a sense of like, how prepared is this family to deal with this, this situation? It feels like they've made adjustments on their own. They've taken a kind of a critical eye to their house and they figured out this is what's going to work for this guy. And we're going to kind of get the clutter out of the way. Um, so that's a situation where I feel like I can go back to Rachel and I can be like, this is a family who's taken what we're giving and they're listening to what we're suggesting. And when we give them feedback and information, they're receptive to it and they're interested in it. And they're going to 
take our suggestions and move forward. So we kind of put them on our chart and we know um, they're going to receive our stuff and we're going to, you know, we can talk to them one way. Then there's other, you know, houses that I go to and you're dealing with a lot of underlying critical problems. Like you're dealing with um, hoarding is a big problem that we see and it can lend to some of the challenges that we're dealing with. You know, it got away from me uh, 20 years ago and I like to have my stuff around me and my kids don't like to come visit me anymore because there's literally nowhere for them to sit. And um, I have arthritis in my knees. So my sweet, adorable little dog just goes wherever in the house, you know, and it just builds and builds. And I mean, you know, you don't, I've gotten to the point where I'm not quite as surprised when they're telling me this, this list of challenges because it all is interwoven yeah. and, you know, has to do with this, this person has had a problem for a long time and it's finally affected their physical health to a point where this isn't working anymore. So, um, you know, then we have to have a conversation with the family of, are you aware that this isn't working? You know, and, and sometimes they're aware. And again, they need a, a, as the external voice of bad news, they need for us to be the ones who kind of lay the hammer down sometimes because they can't do it. They love their mom and either they don't want to be mean to their mom or they're, they don't have the ability because their dynamic is just not that way where I don't, I've never talked to my mom that way. I've never told my mom, this is how it has to be. Mm -hmm. So uh, how, you know, some people will hire an external person to be firm, but kind and say, you know, it's time we got to consider going to a facility. And I, I can't tell your listeners how much I recommend people say, well, I always told my mom, I would never um, have her go to a home. And my thing that I would say is don't say that. Of course, none of us want to have to have our loved ones go to a facility if we can keep them at home. That's an understood thing. But if you make that promise, it becomes much harder when you just don't have the resources and you want your loved one to be safe. Um, mm -hmm. And we need to kind of change the thinking that that's the worst possible outcome. Yeah, I think that um, that when, when people, one of the things I've noticed is how, um, how much um how many issues sometimes are in and variability there are in families and there's lots of history and a lot of things that people bring in and as you kind of work through things you're working through a lot of different things promises right. and other things relationships that um have either been great or have been bad or great for some and bad for others and and so that's a big challenge in someone doing what you do it's a challenge in what we do and um right. it, how how do you kind of manage that what um I, I mean i know that you've had a lot of training for social work and trying to do that but but how do you handle those differences the the differences between I, I I'm sorry I, I was I yeah. missed the question that the question I'm sorry. Yeah. maybe I wasn't clear maybe my oh, I'll, take, okay. com, I'll take complete um, responsibility for it. what I mean is because of the different dynamics you can't treat 
each family the same. And and no. so how uh -huh. do you go in and deal with some of these dynamic situations that are not right. always like great? It's it's not, you know, all lollipops and, and rainbows. So right. Um in that particular situation, I'm grateful that we have a team approach so that we have that initial meeting and then uh, we, you know, we, we meet weekly to kind of talk about the progress that we're making. And um, we usually, after that first meeting, um, kind of just take the vibe of how does everyone feel about how that went? And um, my feeling is most of the time, if you're to the point where you're willing to bring your personal situation in your family and this dilemma that you have, which again, is that kind of private sort of situation. If you're willing to bring it to a professional and put it out there, you've already reached a point where you have an openness uh, and a willingness to work. You know, the people who come to Rachel for assistance are not the people who are gonna try and build their parents out of their money and get a big inheritance. You know, that's not what, the people who want a big inheritance from their parents no matter what, are not the people who are going to come to Rachel. The people who want to make sure that their parents are cared for and and who have an understanding that they will be taken care of no matter what uh, are the people who come to Rachel. So, um, you know, you're already beginning with a, a, a very large majority of the people and you know that there's a benevolent element there. Um, mm, yeah. Every once in a while, one slides through and, we, you know, you can kind of see them and it's like, I think that maybe these folks are trying to work a hustle. And we just kind of let them know that either through the law or life, you know, maybe that's not going to work. And this is what we can do for you. And um, people kind of weed themselves out. Um, you know, uh, a lot of folks don't know how attorneys work. And the way that Rachel works is you come in for an hour and she has like a consultation kind of a situation that does have a cost. And some folks aren't familiar with attorneys and they think that that's ridiculous that they should have to come in for an hour and pay for it <laughs> it's like well you go to a doctor and pay for it or you go to right, right um you know so so folks that have a hard time with that they're kind of letting us know that maybe they're not the best fit for us you know and and uh um i'm not saying that there shouldn't be great pro bono work out there but you know we're um you know trying to work with a a, a living life and a structure and everything and there's a lot of moving parts so um you know we're trying to work that out um, and then, you know, so, uh, we, we stay on top of these cases and what often happens is everything's going fine until it doesn't. And then everything changes. And, and I think that's another reason why it's good to have me is that because you're dealing with elderly people, um, health is a very dynamic fluid thing and you'll see someone come in and they will be the model of, uh, successful aging, you know, and when I was down at case and I was doing my gerontology studies, you would talk about what does it take, uh, for successful aging for a successful elderly life. And it would be, you know, exercise and eating right and all this stuff. And these people are doing that. And then something happens and something changes and everything kind of goes sideways a little bit. Well, that's why we're glad that they're already with us because we have that chain of command of the legal documents in place. And maybe we have some financial planning where now that they're gonna go to the hospital and they might not be coming back, what are we gonna do with that house? And um, we have this relationship established with the family where they have a trust built and they have they know that they have backup and we love to be that for our families. So 
Um, this is a, it's a very fluid process. And um, so I think that when we're dealing with all those different families, it's never, we have stories. <laughs> we have lots of stories, uh, you know, of, of we thought it was this and then it turned out to be this. Um, you know, life is funny. And, and so you just, you know, you get this little glimpse into a life and, and you see how people make decisions. And it's like, well, that's interesting. Carolyn, um, how is but it you also, yeah. how is it for you at the yes. end of the day? Okay. You were, when you were younger and you were working with yes. uh, the older population, you probably saw that, you know, this is a long time before that's me, but as you get older, yes. And you're working with individuals yes. and some who might even be close to your age. How do you feel when you get home at the yeah. end of the day? How do you separate yourself? That's a great question. Um, I, you you kind of have to, um, there's always going to be, however long you want to work in your day, there will be work to fill that space. So you have to give yourself permission at the end of the day to put everything down. It will be there in the morning. Um and, and recognizing that there's a lot of really great people who are out there working in all of these different facilities that you're connected with. Um, I'm always amazed when I go through, especially in Cleveland, when I go through one of our acute care hospitals, if I have to go down and see someone down at Lerner Tower or down at the main campus of Cleveland Clinic, which is like a planet, you know, and all these people who work there on a regular basis. And I think, you know, the people in Cleveland are really lucky to have these resources mm -hmm. and, um, you know, Doug and I are in all these different networking groups where we know all these different aging professionals in the Cleveland area, and there's some extraordinary people out there. So um, I, I get a little bit overwhelmed, you're right. And um, I think that, you know, my mom passed away when she was 70. And what I really am experiencing right now is, yes, there are some people who are closer in age to me, but so many people who are older than my folks were. And just trying to imagine, you know, imagine what it would be like for them. So, I mean, that's that's really um, connecting. I think that when I go home at night now, what I feel is, yes, a little bit closer to those experiences. But I also feel like the network that I have to link people to is so much bigger. And I know it's so much better. I feel like my resources are there for them. So... When I was a young person, I thought, oh, my God, these people, they need so much stuff and I don't know where to send them. But you do this long enough in Cleveland and Doug, you can attest to this, you know, you see the same people over and over and they might go different places. They might pop up in different places, but they're the people who really get this business and and want to be there as much as I do. So um, I love when I can. Um, you know, and, and Doug and Lena helped me with are helping us with a case right now, and it's just. Sometimes, sometimes two plus two equals four, but sometimes you got to kind of piece your pieces together. And so we have a woman who's in a facility and she should be getting 100% care. And for the most part, it's going well, but the family is just really nervous. She's in, a bit in transition and they thought, I'd like to feel like she was getting even a little bit more support. And I would like to know that if she needed something, someone's going to be there. So we got, you know, Doug's company together and it's just adding that little bit and it's making all the difference for this family. We're, we're meeting with them tomorrow and I love knowing that I can count on them and it's just pulling all the blocks together to make something that, you know, is safe and, and going to make the person happy. And I would venture to guess um, 
and you can confirm this or not, but um, I know when I go out and I am meeting with families and, and I really try to do that with like all the families, which, which is not a small task because, you know, I'm right. running a large company and, and, um, but, but I feel like it's one of those things that can make a difference um, in folks' life, but I find it energizing for two reasons. One, it keeps me grounded on what our mission is, you know, to, to be able to do it. But I love yeah. the dynamic of knowing a family. So I get energized. I'm tired because you have to, you have to really give of your heart. But, um, you know, with every situation, you have to be there and you have to be 100% engaged. But there is an energy that you get by by doing that, or I think for a lot of people that do this, I assume that's the case with you. Absolutely. And I like to um I like to try and make things right, but I like it when I'm met with that same passion and uh, intensity about what we're trying to do. Um, we had a lady at a facility, and she wasn't getting the care that she needed. She was kind of down and around the corner. And like, if you were going down the hall and doing care, sometimes she would get forgotten. And um, I got kind of got on my high horse and I went out to that facility and I, I went and saw her. And uh, it was it was true. She was just getting passed by. And it turns out that she was a lot sicker, I think, than they realized. And I pointed it out to the nurse. And it was a Friday afternoon at about five o'clock. And I was really impressed because the administrator was still there. And I stopped and I saw him and I said, you know, more or less, I basically was saying, I, I want you to do better. And he really received that so well. And he appreciated my pointing it out. And I thought, is this guy giving me lip service? I don't know. But he did something as soon as I left. They moved the woman. She was moved to another location that was much more visible and just everything just improved from that point on. The family noticed it. She didn't have much longer. She was only going to be around for like another three weeks past that, but all the more reason why that was really, really important. But they were oh, yeah. so responsive on a Friday afternoon and the family looked to us as though we were these heroes or whatever. But I said, well, they're the heroes too, because they took that advice and they were just real responsive. And in this post-COVID era to have that happen, I just wanted to stress to her, this is a system. And you let us know, and we let them know, and they did it, and they told us, and they told you, and your mom's better. And that's the best we can ask for a lot of the time. And um, I was, that whole weekend, I was flying high, not because I'm so great, but because the system worked. Right. And yeah. I was met with gravity that, yes, thank you for letting us know this. You know, we we need to do better. And um, I don't hmm. know, really, that was really a good one. <laughs> well, I think, you know, um, just, knowing you, you kind of um, bring a thing where you will advocate for someone, but you're not assuming yes. the worst of another person and that's right. within the system. You understand some of the dynamics. So it's, you have, I think, a really nice combination of, of like- I think uh, that's an area where the social work really makes a difference for me because I've been on both sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know what's realistic to ask for. And so when something is realistic to ask for, I'm going to ask for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. 
And I think, you know, and, the and other... when it's not realistic, sorry, when it's not realistic, I can tell the family, listen, you know, you're asking for something and nobody in any facility can get that level of whatever, but we can give you this. So if, they think that everybody's getting something. If I were to ask you at this point in time, and we'll, we're going to wrap things up in a couple minutes, but if I were to ask you what, um, what some of the challenges are right now for you, and when I say you, I'm really meaning probably care management in general. What is that right now right. in in a post but in a post COVID world? I think it is, um, and it's not. I don't know that I can point any fingers of whose fault it is. It's something that we're all dealing with is consistency. Um, you know. The world is very dynamic and fluid right now. So it's very difficult. Are we gonna mask or not? Are we gonna uh, you know, offer uh, vaccines or not? Are we gonna, um, heaven forbid, close back down or not? You know, because, uh, and and some places are gonna do it and some places aren't. And and so it's difficult to keep everyone informed what's, what's expected. Um, I would rather have, you know, kind of a stop at the door. These are all of our expectations. This is what we need from you. Um, some facilities have really figured out how to streamline the process and other ones, not so much. Um, mm. and, and just, you know, trying, recognizing that it is going to be like kind of a need to know sort of a thing, but trying to keep people informed as much as possible. Um, and then, you know, the, the challenge is, um, I think, um, you know, a, a big challenge that we deal with also is um, risk versus reward. And by that, I mean, um, having said, you know, I would prefer that people don't promise that they're not going to put their loved one in a home. There are going to, you know, people are most often always going to want to be at home. You know, mm -hmm. when they come into us, they're hoping that what we can do for them is make life possible with the income and assets that they do have that we're going to make staying home as much, you know, a, a possibility for them as possible. Um, you know, and sometimes it would really be best if they didn't because they're not steady on their feet, they're fall risk, that sort of thing. So, you know, you want to give folks as much autonomy as you can, but if they have cognitive impairment um, or they're unsteady on their feet or, you know, various different health concerns. So um, it's really not hiding those difficult conversations under the under the rug and helping families to have those um hmm. again you know um the, maybe these conversations wouldn't happen otherwise but if you bring that impartial third party out there we can kind of foster the conversation yeah, yeah. that's good well i really appreciate the the time that you had today um to give to us and to give to the audience um, I, I, you know, you're, you're a gem, you know, and, um, and, you know, um, the cab law firm is a real gift, to, um, to the Cleveland area as well. And so, um, just want to thank you for what you do and, and thank also you. your, the wealth of experience that, that you, um, bring to the table and have, um, you know, and helping so many different families over the years. So, so. Um, and I think oftentimes people don't get enough thank yous, especially in this area, 
um, to, you know, say that, you know, what the, what a difference um, you, you make every day in people's lives. So, so thank you for the time. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. It's always nice to see you. And thank you as well. Thank right. you. Take care. We'll talk to you all soon. Have a good night. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.